Hey everyone, I'm Devin. And I'm Asia, and we're your hosts, and this is the latest episode of On, On Their, Their Behalf. Behalf. <sighs> All right. Can you sense that I'm yeah. procrastinating starting? Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Okay, I just want to preface this whole thing by saying, you know, I was, I mean, Devin, you can even, like, re- you can remember that this was, like, such an exciting case for me. Like, I wanted mm-hmm. to do it when we were, like, brainstorming which cases we were going to do for season two. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I saw, like, these n- cases came up and I was like, oh, I remember that case. Um, I really want to do it. And you were like, oh, okay, you can take that one then. You know, so we kind of had that conversation. And then, you know, and it's because I had heard of it before. I hadn't really, like, I hadn't really, uh, like, researched the details of it. But I knew what the outcome mm-hmm. was. So that's why I really wanted to do it. And I, you know, it was just, like, something that was a little bit familiar with me. But I wasn't, you know, I wasn't well-versed in what, really happened it was just like I know that case I want to do it so but after you know diving into the details of the case I very quickly became hesitant and honestly didn't want to keep going um and a lot of it was because I didn't realize that how much I related to this case and how much I saw a lot like a lot of it mirrored what I went through Mm -hmm. that I didn't realize I was still um struggling with um and you know I was supposed to record and then was like Devin I can't Mm -hmm. do it I don't you know and then I had I was forced to kind of tell you what I had went through and it just it it, it's taken a while Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's taken a while to get to the point to actually record um but I'm here. So um, this week, I'm going to tell you the case of Marissa Alexander. started researching this case over a month ago um and it was extremely hard to write and get through um and I just one want to thank my amazing friend and co-host for giving me that amount of time to get through (laughs) this case um because you know I I was on the fence about whether I wanted to go through with it um but uh, I, I decided after many weeks of uh, thinking about it and therapy uh, that it was, you know, it's an incredibly important story to tell, um, even though it brings up past traumas for myself. So I, I don't want to, like, make it about me. However, when I did think about, like, I don't want to make this case about me, it's not about me. It's about that the victims of domestic violence and it's about us in general and fighting against that. So that's why I was like, this is a story I have to tell. And even though it's going to be incredibly difficult to get through, 
it's just as equally as important to tell and to show how I relate to this story, even though it's going to be hard. So please bear with me if it is going to be tough to get through certain parts of it. So, you know, um, but just bear with me. So um, on the night of August 1st, 2010, Marissa Alexander uh, goes to her home uh, that she at one point shared with her estranged husband, Rico Gray. Um, according to court documents, um, they begin to argue. Um, he threatens her at some point. Some sources say that he threatens her, you know, over the phone um, or via text. Um, but some of the more credible sources that I found, uh, it was just like they had a fight at the house. So it, it didn't start before she got mm -hmm. there. Um, so they're arguing, she's obviously scared, um, and she tries to leave, uh, through the garage where her car was parked, but she couldn't leave because the garage door wouldn't open for some reason. So she realized that the garage door was broken and she couldn't get out. So she knows that going back into the house, it's dangerous and she's scared and she she doesn't want to go back into the home unprotected. So she grabs the gun out of her glove compartment. Um, she gets her gun and she goes back into the kitchen and is met with her husband or estranged husband and fires a warning shot into the ceiling. Mm. Um, some reports say that she fired the shot into the wall behind his head, which after the investigators um, processed the scene, the bullet went, it was like at the same height as his head. Mm. And that what, ha why it is into the ceiling is that the fight, the shot um, basically ricocheted in a way and went and deflected into the ceiling. Oh, which I'm like, that's kind of like, okay, maybe, I don't know. But like, to me, it's just like, regardless, it was a warning shot. And mm -hmm. she, she was, she was doing it to, in a way, deescalate the situation right. and protect herself. Take the power back. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, obviously, this was in self-defense. The shot didn't hurt anybody. Um, but the, uh, uh, Rico Gray's children, he had two children. Um, actually I think he might have three children, but th there was two children with him in the home at the time. Mm. Uh, I found a few sources that said that the kids were, uh, in the kitchen with him. Um, but others said that they were just in the house somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, so then Gray leaves the house. He calls 911 and tells the operator that Marissa had shot at him and his children. Um, and at the time she had just, um, given birth to their child nine days before. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, so the police were called Marissa. Obviously she surrenders herself and the firearm and she's arrested. Um, according to, uh, a source, uh, said that she f had fired the warning shot because of the Florida's stand your ground law. 
and that law is is that you you're allowed in self-defense you are allowed to use lethal force if you are in a life-threatening situation mm-hmm. um but see my problem with that is like my problem with that is that when you are in that situation that is not what you're initially thinking mm-hmm. you know what i mean like She's scared for her life. Mm -hmm. Someone is threatening her life. I'm sorry, but there's... There's no way that I'm thinking, wait, let me fire a warning shot because legally I can get away with it because of Florida stand your ground law. The only way that... Like, Like, that's not what you're thinking. Yeah, the only person that would think that is, like, a criminal defense lawyer in that situation. In that situation, yeah. And, I mean, I get it. And I'll get into a little bit later about, you know, my situation. But, you know, when you are in that situation, all you're thinking about is how to get out of it. Yeah. How you are going to protect yourself and and stay alive. Like, you're not thinking about what law will come into play Mm -hmm. to get you off of Mm -hmm. whatever criminally thing you're doing. However, uh, firing a warning shot in um, Florida at the time was illegal. Like you, you couldn't do that. Mm. So, but that comes into play later only because of the stand your ground law that they try to get this, Mm To, to, like, blanket over this case and, to, and as to why she, it was self-defense mm-hmm. and not because she was trying to harm anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, like, bottom line, that's not what you're thinking when you're in that situation. Yeah. It's just, that's, it's, it's not. So, um, so Marissa, she tells the police, you know, what happens. She explains that she didn't, that she did try to get out of the house, but the garage door wasn't working. Um, that she felt like the only way that she was going to be able to get out of the house through the front door was to, like you said, take the power back. And um, so then the police, obviously, they, they're, they're not sure. They're not really believing her at this point. They're kind of like, you know, there's kids in the house. Like, what, what were you thinking? Like, that kind of thing. And then they also find that there was nothing wrong with the garage door, that the garage door opens just fine. So after they do their investigation, they look at the garage and the garage is fine. You know how every time that your car is fucking up and then you take it into the shop and then it's fine? Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, I swear to God, I'm telling the truth. Yeah. I like it's it didn't it didn't work at the time. And like people and honestly, to me, that that. Again, I'm trying I'm trying to tell her story first before I get into my stuff, but you know, in 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 that situation we can't we can't say that there's not a possibility that Rico knowing the house and mm-hmm. knowing that she's going to try to leave through the garage cuz that's where her car is that he didn't do something. I was just thinking that. In that moment to stop her from leaving the yeah. house. And to me, it's like, well, it miraculously 
works again means to me that something was done to the garage to stop her from leaving. Um, so she's arrested. She's, she's, uh, put in jail, but I want to just go a little bit, uh, back a little bit just to, um, because there's obviously more to this story than just, they got into a fight and she fired a gun at him. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's more. Um, so they were married for, um, about two years I could find. It was kind of hard to find like how, how many years they were married. She eventually, does tell her side of the story like from the beginning to and I'll get to that later but I couldn't find if they were married for two years or if they were together for two years before they got married Mm -hmm. and then married for two years and then it could be two to four years Mm -hmm. that they were together um and he abused her throughout their the, the entire marriage pretty much from the beginning um and according to court documents um Marissa says that she was threatened nine days after, like within, like after she was pregnant, like Mm. days after she was, um, found out she was pregnant, he abused her even at that point. Mm. Like, even though she was bearing his child, that didn't make a difference. Like he was still kind of a dick. (laughs) So let's get into this Rico asshole. So, um, after the shooting, obviously he, is interviewed by police. Um, and he also does a deposition with the prosecutor. And this is where I'm getting most of that information from. So, um, in his deposition, he, uh, says on the day of the shooting incident, um, he says that he saw messages on Marissa's phone, um, that he didn't like. In a sense, he says that he pushed his way into the bathroom because that's where she was at the time mm. and confronts her about it. He says, quote, I was mad. You know, I said, what the fuck is this? And, you know, I told her that if I can't have you, nobody going to have you. Oh. She ain't shit. End quote. And I- I'm just going to warn you that a lot of his quotes are very broken like that Mm -hmm. like because you can tell like they're obviously writing whatever he's saying down verbatim Mm -hmm. and the way that he's saying certain things so i'm gonna read it verbatim Mm -hmm. so this is how he he speaks apparently okay this is hard this okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so rico says that um she tries to leave the bathroom and he says, quote, I met her where the sink was and she wanted to get by me and I wouldn't let her by. I was backing up slow, but I was using my body to pretty much contain her in that one area where I wanted her to be at. She got the bathroom door closed and she locked it. So I were beaten on it. I was there waiting for her to come out of the bathroom. I was there waiting for her to come out of the bathroom. I was in a rage. I was in a rage. So I was saying a lot of things. I beat on the door hard enough where it could have, it could have been broken open. Probably had some dents in it now. I was mad, you know. I called her a whore and a bitch. End quote. 
so he's talking to the prosecutor mm-hmm. <laughs> and there was certain like I, I just took his quotes out because I that's really all but in this article that I read that has the deposition they're commenting on the prosecutor's reaction to that as well and mm-hmm. she's saying you know I, I can't believe that this is like how he's talking about it he's very t- he's talking about it as if this is just explaining what you did today at work like he's very nonchalant about this fight mm. and how things started. Mm-hmm. He also says, quote, I got five baby mamas and I hit every last one of them except for one. Mm. End quote. He also admits that at which I don't believe him at all. But um, he says that there were only about five, four or five times that he hit Marissa d- throughout their marriage, which I believe is a lie. There's no way. Yeah. Um, uh, but he says that, that like, that's what built up to, you know, this is what, th- that's how many times that they got into a fight and he hit her uh, before the shooting happened. And he said this also includes the time where he pushed her back and she fell into the bathtub and hit her head (gasps) so badly that she had to go to the hospital. And because of what she told the police about what happened, he was arrested and sent to jail. Um, She also filed a restraining order against him at this time. I'll get into the details of that later. Um... And he goes on to describe, you know, the abuse of one of his other, quote, baby mamas. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, quote, she just wouldn't shut up. So I hit her in the mouth. Oh, my God. End quote. And he then describes the same instance happening with another relationship. And he said... Quote, she got in the, she got hit in the mouth. Same thing. End quote. Read this was probably and bear with me, I'm gonna start talking a little bit about my situation and the reason I'm talking about it now because this is where in my research after reading his deposition where I was like, I am not doing this story. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't. <laughs> um, and this is the part I'm just kind of just going to go through how I relate to this story. Um, I think not only this is one of the first times that I'm talking about it publicly outside of in therapy. Um, but I have a little note here for myself because <laughs> I'm like, I didn't write anything down. I just like was like, OK, this is where you start to tell your you know, Mm -hmm. your truth. Mm -hmm. And I just said, just speak the truth. Don't be afraid. You got this. You do got this. Um, I do got this. (laughs) Um, so the reason I was like, you know what, this is just not, I had an ex-boyfriend who, um, it was kind of the same situation. You know, he was very, um, the only difference I would see, which I, I doubt that alcohol wasn't involved. Um, 
in Marissa's story, uh, but it was very much involved in mine. Even though I was 16, we dated between when I was 16 to 18. I wasn't old enough to drink. However, you know what 16 or 18 year old didn't, Mm -hmm. um, but he was much older than me, so he could get alcohol. Um, and it always seemed to be around that, Mm. you know, like, and the reason I relate, I started to be like, wow, this is coming up and I know I don't really want to think about this is because when I did get out of that situation, I shoved it down and never talked about it again. Mm-hmm. I never thought about it. It was like done. I hadn't even brought it up to my therapist. Like at researching this story is where, how, why I brought it up to my therapist mm-hmm. because I wasn't even in that frame of mind to even talk about it. Um, but you know, I can relate to, you know, even the night of, of the, the warning shot or the, the shooting incident with Marissa, um, just knowing that this situation is going to escalate to where he's going to hurt me and I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I have Mm -hmm. to get out. Like I have to get out of here. And when he says that, you know, um, that he met her at the sink and he was using his body to contain her to like, that's exactly what happened in several situations with my ex, um, where I was just not allowed to leave. Mm. Like, and if I did, if I tried, I knew I was going to get a fist to the face or I was going to be hurt in some way. Mm Um, and I remember, I remember distinctly being, um, (laughs) I got in trouble um, because I went to his house uh, like after work. We, that's how we met. We met at Burger King. (laughs) He worked at Burger King too. Um, And I got in trouble with my parents because I came home in the middle of the night at like three in the morning. Um, And I never told them this, but it was because he wouldn't let me leave. Mm. Um, and I just had to lie and say, because I w- it was like I was afraid to tell the truth because the truth, the truth was worse than getting in trouble for coming home late in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I remember and my parents, my mom had locked the front door, which was like usually she would never do that. And I was hoping I could just sneak in. Um and I couldn't, I couldn't get through the front door. So I, I had to go through the back door hoping the back door was open and that wasn't open. So I just had to knock on the door and the dogs were barking. It was just like crazy. Mm. And I was so praying that my mom was the one that was going to come down the stairs. Cause then I feel like I could have explained myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't, my dad came downstairs and he was very upset with me. What are you doing? And how dare you come in? You know, and I don't remember Mm -hmm. exactly what he said, but I was so afraid to tell the truth because that felt like I didn't even want to admit the situation to myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I just wanted to like, it's okay. He was just drunk. And, you know, I finally got out of the situation and, you know, I'll, I'll deal with being punished. I'll deal with being, you know, Mm -hmm. being grounded for however long I was grounded. Um, and I just, and Marissa has a really good, uh, Ted talk, um, 
where she, after, you know, after everything, she does a TED talk and she's explaining, you know, how when she was, you know, she had a previous marriage. That's where her, she has twins and, you know, she has a really good relationship, but very good co-parenting relationship with her ex-husband. Um, but she explains like growing up and growing up in, in a military family and how everything was very strict and, um, she was very good at talking her way out of things Mm -hmm. because she, she had to being a military kid and, and kind of wanting to get her own, do her own thing. And, um, she, um, she explains at one point that like as a kid, she was always kind of went against the grain and she was a tomboy and, you know, she just had her own thing going on that, that, you know, other girls her age didn't. And she was always, you know, she was always that like girl that stood up for herself. And if somebody was picking on her or her friend or anybody, she was always there to defend them and, and kind of defend herself in, mm-hmm. in any situation. Um, and a lot of the times as a kid, she was told, you know, I'm like, she was the unruly one. Mm that she, you know, she didn't listen and she needs to stay in a kid's place and, you know, grown, grown folks are talking like I, and uh, she's talking in this Ted talk and I am hysterically crying because I'm like, Oh my God, that was my childhood. I was always kind of, you know, I was always willing to just say what was on my mind or, and that was always misconstrued as like, Oh, you're talking back. Mm -hmm. But it was just like, no, I just have a voice. I have opinions. I have, you know, and she's talking about this and it's it's literally like looking in a mirror of somebody who's now, you know, I think she's in like her late 40s now. So like it's just like watching yourself grow up, you know, and be like, wow, you know, that's what I experienced, too. Um, and she said she had to dial that back a lot growing up and even, you know, going forward in her adult relationships is like, you know, a woman has a place and you stay in that place and you don't talk out of turn. You don't, you know, and that's the military lifestyle, but it was also something that she had to carry with her after she wasn't in that environment anymore. Mm -hmm. So when she meets Rico and he is very much a dominant personality, instead of fighting back, like she's used to, she doesn't. And, you know, she says later on, like, you know, I just didn't recognize who I was. And I can relate to that so much because I've never, you know, like I, I, my parents, you know, I never experienced domestic violence like that. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't remember ever like my, you know, everybody's parents argue, but like, I never saw my dad raise a hand at my mom, Mm -hmm. you know? And because he didn't do that. Right. Yeah, because, yeah. yeah, like, that was never, that was never a thing. And mm-hmm. so it was also, like, when it was happening to me, I didn't know how to deal with it. Like, I didn't mm-hmm. know. It was like a shock, almost, like, did that just happen? And why am I not mm-hmm. doing anything? And it's that, you know, and then you go into the, like, everybody in the, that situation. It's like the fight, flight, or freeze, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And I always thought that because I was that, you know, personality that was kind of like the life of the room. And I, you know, I, I always had an opinion and something to say. And I felt like I, I, for the most part would stand up for myself, you know, that 
I would be the fight. Mm -hmm. Like I thought that inside of me that I had the fight in me and I, I didn't, I just froze. And then I made excuses for him and I made excuses as to why, you know, one night I just said something that pissed him off and my head was pushed against the, the wall. I had scratches all over my face because he, you know, it was just like, kind of like shut your mouth kind of thing. And the only way that he was felt he could do that or stop me from talking was to literally shut my mouth. And it's, um, you know, it's just hard to think about like, wow, I'm, I'm supposed to be this strong person. I'm supposed to be, you know, my idea of the women in my life who are so strong. And I felt weak and embarrassed that I didn't fight or that I didn't do anything to protect myself. And the even more heartbreaking thing is to think about how many times I allowed it to happen. And, um, how many times that I would make excuses for him and think about what I did wrong. Mm. And this story was just like, you know, think, thinking of the amount of times that, you know, the women in this guy's life, maybe all the, any, even if the thing that they did was just to speak out of turn, which is like, there is no speaking out of turn here, yeah. you know? Yeah. And you, you don't get the, you don't get the right to shut anybody up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he talks about abusing his relationships and the people in his life that he claims to love in such a nonchalant way of like, well, you know. I, I beat all of them but one, you know, and, you know, yep, she got she got hit in the mouth because she wouldn't shut up. And it's just like I'm watching this unfold for for not only Marissa, but the people that, you know, aren't named that he has abused. But in her, in you know, her just explaining that there's so many things that women of domestic violence are ashamed of Mm -hmm. because they're ashamed that they didn't fight back or they're ashamed because, you know, they do walk around outside of that situation. Like when you leave, when that door closes and you go out into the real world, you're very much that strong, independent, you know, fight person where you have that fight in you when you do everything in your life, when it comes to, every aspect of your life you you still you are that person but then when you when you go back through that door it everything's different everything changes and it ends up being something that you want to keep behind that door because you don't want people on the outside to know that you're not really that person like you almost feel fake you almost feel like well fuck like (laughs) you know like i'm not i'm not the person that i keep I'm, I'm pretending I'm pretending outside of that door you know and I just I actually I lied I, I didn't my, the first person that I talked to about this was actually my current boyfriend mm-hmm. and 
it was only because, you know, we had only been together for about a year, I think. Um, and we were like watching a movie or watching a fight. I think he was, he's not like really a sports guy, but he, he likes like the fights mm-hmm. or like, what are they? Boxing, oh, <laughs> like <yeah>. the fights. <laughs> um, so we were watching that one night and I think I like walked into the kitchen to grab like more food or more snacks or something. And then he was just like, Oh yeah. Like, and he was explaining the fight and like how, what certain things are like illegal when you're boxing and he goes, yeah, but like, if this was me and you know, whatever. And he like reached his arm around my, from behind mm-hmm. and like play choked me, like no force, nothing at all. He was like, this is how you do like the sleeper hold on someone mm-hmm. or whatever. He was like explaining that. And I lost it. And I, and it was like, almost like I was an out, it was like an out of body experience where just the just the feeling of having a man's arm around my neck, mm-hmm. like put me back behind that door mm-hmm. and I lost it. And he was like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. Like I didn't, I barely touched you. Like what, what's going on? And I was like hyperventilating. I was just like, you can't, you can't, you can't do that. Like you can't. And he was like, uh, okay. You know, like, so like, I couldn't not say anything, mm-hmm. you know, like I had to explain, you know, what, why that happened, you know, and I had to be honest about why that happened mm-hmm. and why I had such a adverse reaction to something so playful, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I, and obviously he was like, you know, he does the the normal boyfriend thing like where is the guy and but you know and I'm like Mm. that's not what I need obviously like I just yeah it's okay like I'm fine I I just didn't realize how much that still affects me like I just didn't realize it yeah and still at that point I was like you know and I think it was uncomfortable for him too so it was just like something we just never talked about it again and then he just knows that he can't do things like that Mm -hmm. and still to this day he doesn't and it's just like it's just like one of those things between us that we just that's what we he he knows about the situation and you know and then this is kind of the first time after researching this case that I was just like oh my gosh I am not over this I did not deal with this in the correct way and it's now coming into my new relationship which is great and I need to find a way to deal with this and not just close it behind that door and walk away, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, it, and, and I think that that, what, what that has done for me, just like she talks about in her Ted talk is like, she lost the ability to stand up for herself in that relationship. Yeah. And I think that I, and I mean, the way she speaks is like, you know, so amazing. And, you know, she, she went through this as an adult. Mm-hmm. Which is, I feel like why she had a better, a little bit of a better outlook on it to protect herself and be like, I'm going to grab that gun. I'm going to protect myself or or however she felt like she did protect herself through the years of being with this man. But for me, I was a child. Mm-hmm. I was a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, that's like I'm 16 years old and I'm dealing with a an abusive relationship at 16. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a baby, you know. Yeah. And, 
like I, I now like after going through therapy, like I have to treat myself in this situation. Like I am still that child who is dealing with it as a child. Mm -hmm. And then as I grow with that situation, you know, I can deal with it in my adult life with the relationships that I have as as an adult. Mm -hmm. And, um, one of the, the major things is that I don't stand up for myself really ever because I'm afraid to. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid that if I do stand up for myself, not that I'm going to get knocked down physically, but emotionally and mentally, I feel that, mm-hmm. you know, you know, I've had mm-hmm. past jobs. I've had past relationships with friends. I deal with it with my family. I don't stand up for myself ever. Like, I just allow people to say what they say about me or think what they think about me. And I leave it up to them to deal with, like, well, they they just don't know me or they Mm -hmm. just don't understand. Rather than correcting them and being like, no, Mm -hmm. you know, I am, I am a strong person. I am loved. I have... I'm smart. I'm, I'm, you know, like things that I just don't say to myself because I'm so afraid that if I do, you know, go against the grain, I'm going to end up right back there behind that door. And, you know, it just really opened my eyes to how how many other women there are out there that deal with this or have dealt with it and maybe they're not in that situation anymore like myself like I'm not in an abusive relationship anymore mm-hmm. right now I'm in an abusive relationship with myself because I don't allow myself to you know be that strong person that I show on the outside I'm very fragile on the inside because I ha- I that that terrible thing that happened to me as a kid mm-hmm. as a 16 year old has affected every relationship that I've ever had mm-hmm. in a small way. And I haven't allowed myself to get out of that. You know, I haven't allowed myself to grow because mm-hmm. I am afraid, you know, may I and say something? Yeah. I've known you for five years now. And I Mm -hmm. see what you're talking about. You do have a quality where you, I think, like, I never saw it as you not standing up for yourself. I saw it as, like, water off a duck's back kind of thing where you were, like, Mm -hmm. weren't going to be phased by any of this stuff. But I also was with you during a particularly tough time and uh, professionally um and i think i just want to remind you you said you haven't allowed yourself to grow but i've seen two big turning points for you and Mm -hmm. the one i'll say right now is when you corrected how i said your name because for you know if people don't know we met through a job and I was introduced Mm -hmm. to you by our superior who said, I'm going to mess it up now because uh, whatever. She said my name was Aja. She said your name was Aja. 
And for four years, I called you Aja. And then finally... And it's because I never... I never... Like, she said it. She was an authority. She Mm -hmm. was... And I didn't want to... I didn't want to correct her. I didn't want to... And then I had to... I had to literally... Change my name in my brain. Yeah. Like, think about four years of, like, having to, like be called and call yourself something that you're that you're not yeah and like i people mispronounce my name and say devon all the time and i hate it it makes my skin crawl so i can like i understand that feeling of like somebody getting your name like slightly wrong but it's just as like also it chips away at the you how -hmm. important you feel or how worthy you feel because they can't even bother to get your name right and, like, I felt really yeah. guilty because I was your friend for four years and I never knew. <laughs> and then, but you sat me down. This is the this is the thing is, like, yes, all that happened and that is that is really a psychological mind fuck. But you sat me down and you said, yeah. I've been doing the work and I have to let you know, my name is Asia. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. yes, it fucking is. I didn't know it was. But, like, <laughs> yeah, like, thank Yeah. I was so proud of you in that moment because there's so like we have gone for through so much and then you yeah. you you stood up to yourself to me, you know? And it was the yeah. thing yeah. of just, you know, the you know, JK Rowling aside, the thing in Sorcerer's Stone where Dumbledore says to Neville, it's one thing to stand up to your enemies, it's another to stand up to your friends. And that yeah. is so brave of you. And it it might, like, in the scheme of things, it might not seem like a big deal, but it is a big deal. So I want, yeah. like, even if it doesn't feel like you're allowing yourself to grow, you are. And yeah. just remember that. And I love you so much. And you're mm-hmm. so worthy. <laughs> I love you, too. <laughs> and you're the best. Yeah. And I know, I know I have and I know that I've made choices that, you know, resemble more of that strong person that I know I am. You know, but I, I didn't realize how how much all of that has affected a lot of mm-hmm. my life. And, mm-hmm. you know, still to this day, like somebody will say something and I I just brush it off and it hurts me. But I just brush it off instead of being like, hey, that was hurtful. Mm-hmm. Don't speak to me like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like things like in that way that I don't even uh, I don't do those things. And you're right. I have you know, I have started to skim the surface of being like, you know what? I know who I am. I know that, you know, what happened to me did not define me. Mm-hmm. And I, I can, I can start to build that confidence again in, in, in myself and who I know I am, mm-hmm. who I know that my parents raised and who, you know, like that. And, you know, a lot of it was just the lot of the guilt that I have now is that I didn't trust my family Mm. to tell them something like this and think that, you know, that they were going to not only be receptive of that, but also be like, okay, we're going to protect you now. Mm -hmm. We're going to be, we're going to, you know, I have such a a big, strong family of women that I, I, I'm, I'm ashamed that I didn't trust them enough to say, Hey, this is what I'm dealing with. And I don't know what to do, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I do give myself a lot of credit of like, I did, you know, get out of that situation. Um, 
and I'll, you know, there's some like similarities in Marissa's story towards the end that I'll kind of like throw in a little bit about, you know, what happened to me too. And like how I did get out of that situation. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, I, I should have like, that's the guilt I think that I have is that I should have trusted the people who, who do love me because he didn't love me. There's no, you don't do the things like that to people you love. Mm -hmm. So, and you know, I was so young and I didn't actually know what love is. I didn't know what, you know, that really means. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm, I think the reason that I, I didn't, you know, take that initiative was because I was so young and I wasn't actually sure Like, okay, well, he still says he loves me after the fact, you know, but then he does Mm -hmm. this thing that's really terrible, but then he says he loves me. So it's just like, is that the same? It is not. Mm -hmm. I know that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But, you know, um, when you're young and you're experiencing relationships and life, you know, as a young adult and and going into your adulthood, it, it, it shapes a lot. And I think that... You know, I grew up and like a lot of the reasons that I didn't say anything is because I was always like you. I'm I'm a very um, well, I'm a writer. You're a writer. So like everything in your life is very mm-hmm. dramatic and dramatized. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I was always labeled the dramatic kid of my siblings, you know, mm-hmm. and I was just afraid of being oh, you're just being dramatic, mm-hmm. you know, and people say that now, like my family says it to me now and I'm always like oh, it digs into me because I'm like, no, I'm not being dramatic because sometimes, yeah, I might be dramatic sometimes, but not mm-hmm. all the time. Like sometimes, sometimes it's for a real thing, a real reason. Mm-hmm. And like, don't discount what I'm saying or how I'm feeling because you think I'm dramatic. Right. And that's the thing that's like, I need to start to build that up and 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 say, no, no, no. This is one of those moments that I'm not being dramatic. Mm-hmm. This is real. But I don't. Well, I always say, because I also am accused of being dramatic a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I just feel like I'm I'm feeling a lot. And I'm hyper aware of what I'm feeling. And mm. a lot of people aren't quite as tapped in. You know, for better or worse. Yeah. In some cases, that's better. In some cases, it's not as good. So I just feel like yeah. it's that it's it's like emotional control in terms of like tamping down versus letting yourself feel that's yeah you know if that helps no i get that sort of define it yeah yeah absolutely yeah so with all of that (laughs) um i just want to get into like you know the the trial and you know how that all shaped out because this is actually the part of the story that I was familiar with um, because when this happened this is the part that I kind of was focusing on because it's terrible Um, but you know she's arrested Um, her trial then starts uh, September of 2013 so she's actually in prison for a long time over a year before all of this you know um, her lawyers do try to um, do the the self defense immunity because of all of the abuse that she mm-hmm. suffered. 
but they were unsuccessful unsuccessful they just uh basically denied her this the self-defense um plea so uh but however the prosecutor they offered her a three-year plea deal basically saying that you know she did act in self-defense but she's pleading guilty to using a lethal weapon when that's not legal to do the the warning shot so um, so a three-year plea deal for shooting the warning shot for for yeah for the warning shot okay. because that's illegal and being like saying that like oh she did the warning shot because she was acting out of self defense but like the reason she didn't did it isn't for self defense it's like kind of like a gray yeah. area um but she's like pretty much like fuck you and denies the the um plea deal um and you know the case goes to trial and I think she was kind of, like, really confident that, like, even though she couldn't use the stand-your-ground defense, mm-hmm. that as, like, her, like, uh, like the, okay, she's not going to be able to get away with this because of the um, stand-your-ground def- de- uh, defense, but she can very much use this as a way to get the least amount of time for mm-hmm. the um, assault you know, charge. Yeah. Um, so her case goes to trial. Um, the judge allows Rico to, um, basically his, uh, deposition is also brought into the, the case as well. Um, but he's also allowed to, uh, to testify. But before he testifies, he says, quote, to, he sa- says to, like, in his deposition, like, there was parts of the deposition that were exposed. It was, like, a 64-page deposition. Mm-hmm. Um, so another part of his deposition was, he said, the way I was with women, they was, like, they had to walk on eggshells around me. You know, they never knew what I was thinking or what I might do. I might hit them. I might push them. End quote. So that's say like this is like a Why piece of the like deposition. Bragging about it. Exactly. It's disgusting. And it's like so this is his like initial like deposition to the police. This is like what he like basically like, yeah, I hit her and like, you know, that's how this whole thing went down. Uh-huh. Um but he so then he says that like because of all of this is why she pointed the gun at him and his children. But then he goes back on it and says that the, her pointing the gun at him and the kids was a lie. (gasps) What? That that never happened. That the kids weren't in the room, that she didn't point the gun at him, that she just fired the warning shot. Then months later, now it's at the trial and the judge gives him permission to uh, testify he then changes his whole story and says that she did point the gun at him. He, that she threatened him and he threatened to kill her because she, before she got the gun, then she gets the gun and she points at him in anger and that he had to quote, beg for his life. Please. I'm like, and the fact that this is even like he like I understand a witness recounting uh, recanting their 
um, their their statement or their testimony or whatever. But this is just from the deposition. Like, why is nobody looking at the bigger picture of this monstrous human being who talks about beating women as if it's like just another day at 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 his nine to five? And he is proud of his pattern of behavior. Exactly. And then he gets to get on stand and put on a fucking suit and tie and be like, oh, my God, I just begged for my life. I was so scared. And it's like, really? You were so scared of this tiny woman who needed a gun to get out of the house? Like, are you serious? Like, why is nobody else looking at the situation and being like, yeah, maybe Marissa's the one that's not the, you know, if you were really scared, she would have poisoned you. (laughs) Yeah. You know? It's like, oh my god! So, Ugh. so the trial. He he testifies at the trial. The stand your ground defense did absolutely nothing. They did. They tried the stand your ground defense in 2011, just after, uh, just about a year after the incident, and they basically shot it down. And was just like you. Um, the judge said that in the pretrial hearing saying that um, she did not meet the burden of proof because there was a, quote, factual dispute <gasps> on her stand your ground defense. So based so on because they word? were fighting. Yeah, because they were fighting. That's why the stand your ground defense doesn't work, because I guess what? the well, the stand your ground defense is like if somebody breaks into your home, you're allowed to use lethal force to protect yourself. But if At they stop point, to talk, you're not allowed to. Yeah, like if you had some sort of argument with them, like I what? guess that's like a way to get out. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense because in that situation, yeah. shooting someone, killing someone is okay. But in this situation, she was just firing a warning shot yeah to get out of the house to get away from this person who was threatening her life that's not okay it doesn't make any sense i'm so confused i know it and it doesn't get any more clear it's basically like this is it's they're all basing this on the warning shot and that there was kids in the house warning shots are illegal and she endangered the life of a child in the house um they do try her, uh, Marissa's lawyers, um, you know, after they, you know, uh, threw out the stand your ground defense, you know, they, they try to go with self-defense, which is also then like not working either. And they, uh, her lawyer said, quote, a woman or a minority is claim is claiming they are defending themselves. They don't get the benefit of the doubt. End quote. True. Um, Rita Smith, she's the executive director of the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. She said, quote, most battered women who kill in self-defense end up in prison. There is a well-documented bias against women in these cases, end quote. Mm-hmm. Um, so during the trial, the prosecutors, obviously, they point out the fact that the bullet went through the wall instead of the ceiling Mm -hmm. and it was at the height of the husband of Rico's head. Um, the prosecutor, um, her name is sorry. I forgot to put it right there. Her name is Angela Corey. So Angela Corey says that 
she um she doesn't believe that she fired out of fear that she thinks that she fired out of uh out of anger and that's the difference between self-defense and like just like being angry at somebody and and wanting to kill them Mm. um which no sorry Mm -mm. sweetheart it's also Um, just like she's been operating on in a state of fear for years now yeah and it's like there's previous like not only is she saying hey i was abused for x amount of years Mm -hmm. he's also admitting that he's abused her so it's like it's he's not, not even saying I don't understand like, why there's a qu- yeah like he's not even arguing that he didn't yeah so it's just like I don't understand why there's a question as to it's like his as abuse to whether she not, fired out of fear or anger yeah it's it's literally it's, saying that his word is more valuable than hers or that his abuse exactly. his abuse is not as bad as her firing a warning shot yeah yeah oh god so um, Rico. Uh, also obtained his own lawyer because he was sure that, you know, she, you know, was going to press charges against him, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, and, and at the time, after he does testify, his lawyer asks him to not speak publicly about it. But his lawyer did say, quote, people have lost sight of the fact that he was standing with his son when she came into the house, the house with a gun. He was unarmed and she shot at him, end quote. Didn't he say the kids weren't there? He went back and forth. Like the kids were there or that the, there were some reports that said the kids were just in the house. And then some reports that said that the kids, like he was, they were actually in the kitchen when she fired. If the they shot. were actually in the kitchen, that would be like the number yeah. one thing people were screaming about. The fact that it's like misreported. I'm like, red flag, lie, 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 lie. Yeah. Like this is just a way to make up for why, like for him, this is all like Rico's screens. thing of like, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So the prosecutor says um, that Marissa was not in fear when she fired that gun, um, and that it's a ludicrous thing to say that in that moment she was in fear. Oh my god! And I'm like, you're trapped in the garage. Like Imagine if it were a scene yeah. in a movie. You are. Oh, you yeah. finally escape. You run out. You try to get out of the garage. It's closed. Mm-hmm. You know they're closing in on you. You're yeah. afraid. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So this is actually where I want to tell the story. Like, so um, Marissa gives her own account of the story, and she kind of tells it from the beginning. She says, um, uh, "So she she bef- this is like." before she met um rico so when she met rico she had already had two kids she had twins with her first marriage and they had a really good uh relationship still they were co-parenting um she was working as a client service manager at a payroll company um and she meets um rico on a blind date in 2009 she says that they had a lot of chemistry and that their relationship was really good. Like she said, it was like when it was good, it was good. But when mm-hmm. it was bad, it was bad, you know, mm-hmm. which a lot of people 
even myself, I have described relationships like that. Well, yeah. you know, when we're really, when things are great, they're great. But when like, they're not like, I don't want to be with him. Or I like, I've said that before mm-hmm. about many of my relationships. And it's just like, that's my justification for like, oh, I don't need like if the relationship is bad, like I, I, I kind of categorize that. Well, well, everybody's relationship isn't perfect, but it's just mm-hmm. like, no, if bad is bad, okay, having a bad blip in your relationship is okay. But if bad goes to worse and it gets worse and worse and worse, that's not okay. Like you can't justify the good for the bad because it's like not all the time. So it's just like the the signs of what she's saying here Mm -hmm. is like, oh my God, I've experienced that too. And it's just like, it's kind of a lot of the time what, you know, people... in that situation do to justify why they're staying in the relationship, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? And it's confusing because Um, the good times are the storybook times that, you know, everybody has told you like, that's the way it's going to be. And then they also, you also hear like, Oh, well it's not always perfect. It's hard. And it's like, Oh, well Mm -hmm. that must be what that part is. Mm -hmm. And to define that line is very, is very difficult and it seems like you know on the outside like you're saying you should be able to identify it you should be strong you should be blah 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 blah, blah. but in until yeah. you're in it you can't you have no you idea can't know. yeah 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 um so she says that like in the beginning you know it used to be like what she would do is like when when things like this would come up or he would be you know, a little bit more controlling or he would like, she would always just equate that to being like, well, he's, he really loves me and he's be it's affection. It's not mm-hmm. like he just wants to be with me all the time. Um, so like, that's kind of how, like she just chalked it up to being that. And she's like, and sometimes he would like, you know, want to be with me. Um, when I go to the store, or he wanted, you know, when I go out with my friends, he would want to join. And she was just like, that just is like, he really loves me. Um, until he started to do things like she would say, I'm going to the grocery store alone. And he'd be like, it's been an hour. Where are you? Like, why are you, mm. what, what are you doing at the store for so long? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and she said it wasn't until he, um, like later on, uh, like later on that year that he beat her so badly, um, that she ended up getting a restraining order against him. Mm. And I, I kind of timed it a little bit. And I think this, this is, uh, this might be incorrect, but I was like, well, if they're talking about, if he's talking about, about, you know, the time that he, uh, threw her into the tub and she hit her head Mm -hmm. and went to the Mm -hmm. hospital and she got a restraining order and he went to jail. I think this is the same situation that she's talking about or the same incident she's talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, and she, got a restraining order against him he went to jail um but like when he got out they kind of he was just like really apologetic and they started seeing each other again um and this is kind of like she says quote it's embarrassing i'm strong and determined and i i had never experienced a relationship like this isn't literally verbatim what i just said to you yeah um so, you know, she says, so every time something bad would happen, I would, ra- I would rationalize it and give Rico the benefit of the doubt. Or we would break up. He'd come back looking like a puppy dog, all lovey-dovey, and I would take him back. 
Mm. Okay. So then that leads to January um, 2010. She found out she was pregnant with Rico's baby. Um, and, like, you know, it, it, within the article, it sounds like she's kind of like, oh, well, this will make it better, you know? And, like, yeah. he, he's really on his, he's, you know, he's really been on his best behavior. Like, nothing of no, nothing like that has happened in a while, you know? they decided to get married and, and then that they were going to work on their relationship and everything was going to be okay. And they were going to be a family. Um, but she says that that is the opposite of what happened. And the relationship itself was still very stressful. Um, she, when she was five months pregnant, she had to, she went into uh, preterm labor. Um, mm. And she, when she got out of the, the hospital, she went to live with her mom um, because she just knew that that situation was just like, she needed to gradually get out of it and just try to figure out how to get out of it to stay safe for not only herself, but now her, her, her current children and her new baby on the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and she like secretively was planning to like move out, but like a little bit out of the time, a little bit at a time without telling him. Um, and that's exactly what I did actually. I had gotten to a fight with my family, my mom and my dad. I don't remember even what it was about, but I moved out and moved in with him because I mm. was like, I'm 18 now and I'm just going to leave because I have a boyfriend and he has an apartment. We're going to live together and blah, blah, blah. And it, you know, a, a, an incident like that hadn't happened in a while. So I kind of thought we were past it mm-hmm. and I moved in with him. There was probably about a week into it and it happened again. Mm. And then that was where I was like, oh, my God, I've moved out of my parents' house. I don't have a place to go right now. Like, Mm -hmm. I live here. So there's not like every time this happens, I can go run home and, like, stay home and be safe for a little bit. And then when he's ready to say he's sorry, then I'll come back. Like, that's kind of the the Mm -hmm. game we had been playing. And this was Mm -hmm. the first time that I realized that, oh, my God, I, I don't have a place to go because I've moved out. So I live here. I, this is, I'm going to have to live in this situation for the rest of my life. Um, (sighs) so I started to like go to church with my mom, like every, like twice a week. Mm -hmm. And every time I did, I would take a little bit of my stuff at a time and just keep it in my car. Mm. I would just keep it in my car because I knew that if he saw all of my stuff gone Mm -hmm. one night and he was still there, that wasn't going to end well. So I needed to just gradually take things with me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the night that I actually moved out, I knew he was going to actually. Yeah. And I was just like, I need to make sure that when I do have to leave, that I don't need to take so much stuff with me. Mm -hmm. So I, um, that day that I officially moved out, I, um, I knew he was working and I knew what time he was going to get off. And he, um, I went upstairs and I grabbed just a couple of other things that I knew that I needed, just like clothes and some like essential things that I couldn't like mm-hmm. take. Cause I'm like, you can't take your toothbrush. Yeah. Cause then it's like, okay, well what, you know? Yeah. So I grabbed all that stuff right before I knew he was going to be at, um, home from work. And I just waited outside in my car. And when I saw him walk up, I, you know, got out of the car and I just said everything. And I was just like, I don't want to be in this relationship anymore. You know, I can't live in a world, in a life with someone that I 
don't know if you have too many beers one night and then things are going to end up, you know, the way that they are, mm-hmm. you know, and he, he, he didn't, and it was just like, I feel like I created a safe situation because we lived, he lived on a main street. So there was like people walking by, mm-hmm. like there wasn't much that he could say. And, um, you know, he did the whole pleading thing, like, please don't, everything's going to be fine, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know, I'm going to go back to my parents. Like, this was a bad idea anyway. Like, I'm starting school soon. Like, please just like, I'm just going to go, you know, good luck to you. Like, did all of that stuff that was just like, we're done. You know, like, this is Mm -hmm. over. Um, It didn't end there. He actually stalked me for a while, which was a whole other thing but I felt way more comfortable because I knew like my family knew we broke up so like Mm -hmm. you know I I had this conversation with my mom too because I have I had to tell my family or I have to tell my family about this because this podcast is gonna go out and they're gonna (laughs) listen and know you know um but you know when I did talk to my mom about it she was like oh I do remember him like showing up to the house and you know, just like randomly being there and asking for you. And she's like, I always just thought that it was just like, oh, he's just a lovesick guy and can't get over the fact that my daughter doesn't want to be with him and let it go. You know, Um, one night I was watching my niece uh, at my, at my parents' house and I had to drive her home and I was walking outside with her, like in my arms. I'm pretty sure she was like, not even two yet. Um, And I was walking with her out, like towards the front door and I could see him like leaning up against oh my, my car, God. like the silhouette. <gasps> and I was like, Oh my God, like I can't. So I actually made my sister who had no, like they knew I broke up with him, but she had no idea. And I was like, Hey, uh, Elizabeth, can you come out with me? Like, can you bring me, can you come with me to drive Aviana home? Because I can't, I can't like he's yeah. out there and you know, like, and she was just like, oh, okay, fine. And she went with me and I just like head down, walked past him and was like, I need you to get off my car. I need you to leave. I have to bring Avi home. Please just go. Mm-hmm. And it was that whole, like, please, please. And it was just like, got in the car and left. Mm-hmm. And that was like the last time that that like confrontation happened mm-hmm. of like, but it, it was like, the 10th time that I had to be like, no, this is done. We're over. Stop coming around here. You know, like it, it just took so long for him to stop trying. Yeah. Um, because I gave him the out every time, you know, I like, even when we were together, like he would make a mistake and all he had to do was say sorry and everything would go back to normal. And it was Mm -hmm. just like the first time that I wasn't going to allow that anymore. You know, I think that's what she was trying to do was like she was trying to deescalate the situation. And, you know, he didn't give her the space to do that. Like she was trying to end it peacefully. And Mm -hmm. the same way that I was trying to, the only difference was that like my my ex just he gave up. And I feel like Rico was never going to be the personality that was like capable of doing that. Mm -hmm. I mean, he says that to her later on like he's like you know if you if I can't have you nobody else can and that's like I think where he was going like it was never going to be able to end unless she she you know did that you know it's just like if she if the only way she was going to be able to do it was to like take the power back and the only way she knew how was with a gun you know Mm -hmm. um but you know back backtracking a little bit she has the she has the baby um the baby was like 
her they named her Rihanna. Uh, she la- she was premature, so she she was a, a, a month and a half early, so she was only four pounds and twelve ounces. Mm. Mm. So she had to be in the NICU for a long time, and um, it just felt like I think she felt like she obviously couldn't leave her, and um, also she was breastfeeding at the time, so she said that she would wa- she would like be at the hospital just to feed her and then like mm-hmm. go out into the car and sleep in the car and come back. So she was so exhausted. Oh my gosh. Um, but like Rico was never around. Like he never came to the hospital to help mm. her. He was supposed to go to the hospital at some point, I think. And, and like, uh, give her her first bath because she was like finally off the tubes and all of that. Mm-hmm. And like, he just didn't show up. And I think she like just ended up sending him pictures instead of like him actually being there. Mm. Um, so finally, you know, she, the baby's out of the NICU. She's, um, uh, needs to get the rest of her, her clothes out of the old house because they don't, she's, it's like, she only has a little bit of things left there. So that's why she went to the house Mm. to get the rest of her things. Um, and she said, she said, quote, I, I, I went to the house cause she just wanted to get the rest of her stuff. And she, um, her sister was supposed to meet her there, like to pick her up so that mm-hmm. she had somebody with her, but she didn't know that Rico was going to be like, was going to show up to the house too. So he showed up shortly after with his sons. Mm. Um, and she said, okay, I just want this to be cordial. My sister's going to be here any minute. So she was like showing him pictures of the baby mm-hmm. on his phone, on her phone. And she says, quote, I remember saying, look, she's smiling. And then after that, she went to the bathroom to, to pick up the rest of her stuff. Um, leaving the phone with him, leaving the phone with him. Mm-hmm. So then he starts to go through her phone and her text messages <sighs> And sees that she sent pictures of the baby to her ex-husband who asked to see the baby. Like, do you have any pictures? Mm-hmm. Anybody would ask. Like, yeah. that's a normal thing. Like, not, not a big deal. Yeah. So apparently he sees that she has been texting him. And she says, quote, I have never seen him that angry. End quote. Which is like, wow. She went through years of abuse with him, and this yeah. is the time she's seeing him the angriest. Like, yeah. if that's the case, then yeah, I see why she went for the gun. You know? Yeah. Like, if that's the angriest he's ever been. Yikes. Um, so, she... Um, now they're having that, that kind of fight, the way that Rico explains it, is the same kind of the same thing that happened. Like he was truthful about that. Um, so she, they have that whatever in the bathroom, he ends up, he's banging on the door. She finally gets out of the bathroom because she thinks that he left. So then she goes outside to her car in the garage and tries to leave, but the garage door won't work. This is where I was like, he def if she thought he was gone, he for mm-hmm. sure did something to the garage so that she couldn't move her car out of the garage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because if he wasn't in the house or anywhere that she could see while she was going to the garage, of course. Yeah. Like that's something that 
Yeah. So totally. like he did something to the garage. That's why she couldn't open the door. So then she says that she goes back inside and with the gun, because she's like, if he's in there, the only way I'm getting out of here is to, is to protect myself with this gun. So, um, she says that she goes through the house, like kind of quietly and and slowly just in case he's around. And apparently he comes around the corner. They startle each other because she's like seeing him for the first, after him being so pissed. Mm Mm-hmm. And she says, he says, quote, bitch, I'll kill you, end quote. So she's like that at that mo- moment, she was like, I have mm-hmm. to do something. So she fired the warning shot mm-hmm. um, at the wall above him. She said the kids were not beside him. They were not in the room because she, he she thought they left. So she was just like he, he the kids were not around at all. Um she said that she assumed that he sent them outside of the house so that he could come back in and deal with her with like nobody around, you know, like yeah. obviously he wouldn't have wanted to do that in front of the kids. Yeah. So she says after, she, you know, after she files, fires the warning shot, he obviously gets spooked. It goes back outside, calls the police. Um, so she's like inside, she calls her father, she calls her brother to tell them what happened. She's like uh, the whole time she was talking. Um, and then at the same time, like talking to her, her brother and her dad and she sees another call come through, but she didn't, um, notice the number. So she just hung, she just like, uh, Mm -hmm. sent it to voicemail. Um, and then she hangs up with her dad. She calls her sister who was supposed to meet her outside. And it was her sister who was outside of the house. And she said, quote, Risa, do not come outside. There are police out here. That's a police officer trying to call you on your phone. End quote. She's like, now she's terrified because now there's police outside. Her sister's outside saying, don't come outside because they're going to shoot you. Like, that's what she's thinking. Like, they're going to shoot me. So she gets on the phone with the police officer, and she actually talks about this in the TED Talk. I recommend listening to her TED Talk. It's only, like, 18 minutes, I think. Mm -hmm. But it's just such a powerful story, and it's such a powerful thing that just, like, yeah. So definitely Mm -hmm. listen to that. But she gets on the phone with the officer. She says, "Um, I'm coming outside. Please don't shoot me. And the officer was like, okay, we're not going to shoot you. Put your hands up. Put the cell phone down. And she was like, my cell phone's in my hand. It's not the gun. My cell phone is in my hand. Mm-hmm. Like, she's talking in the, in the TED Talk. It's crazy. But, like, the fact that she needs to do that. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah. I'm coming outside. Just don't shoot me, you know. So, um, that's pretty much what she what she's saying from from you know, beginning to end. And I very much believe her more than I believe Rico, but you know, not Mm. many people do. So she says, um, after her trial or like in the middle of, or during her trial that quote, uh, the defense saw this as a crime from the jump. They never considered my stand. They never considered the stand your ground law. End quote. Mm. Um, She's then convicted um, of aggravated assault. And because of the sentencing laws, um, 
she receives 20 years in prison. <gasps> what? Yeah. Yes. She receives 20 years in prison. Um, the At the time, the, her case was compared to the George uh, Zimmerman case. Because uh-huh. it was obviously in around the same area. And um, he obviously fatally shoots Trayvon Martin, an unarmed black teenager. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like Marissa, he had no criminal record, um, but she was arrested, or I'm sorry, Marissa had no criminal record, but George Zimmerman did. He had, um, uh, he had been arrested for a battery against a police officer. He had been, he had multiple restraining orders for domestic abuse and he kills an, un- uh, kills an un- unarmed teenager. And he wasn't even arrested at, like, I mean, we all remember that case. He wasn't even arrested yeah. until obviously there was a national outcry for his arrest. Mm-hmm. So they finally arrest him and is then acquitted of, those charges and mm-hmm. Marissa who didn't hurt anybody. She just sh- fired a warning shot. She gets, it, she gets jailed for 20 years. It's insane. It's insanity. So the Florida criminal justice system, um, like clearly, clearly is sending the message that, you know, if you are a woman who is a victim of domestic violence and you try to protect yourself, whether it be the stand your ground law or, uh, or self-defense or whatever the case is, it doesn't just doesn't apply. Like you will being a woman in that Mm -hmm. situation. If you kill somebody, regardless if that person is threatening your life or is on the verge of killing you, it's never going to be considered that. And even, and the second message is that if you are black, and a woman mm-hmm. in this situation, the system is going to treat you different, differently regardless. Yeah. So she receives, you know, the 20 year sentence, uh, but she does, she spends almost six years, uh, whether it being, you know, locked up in prison or confined to her house because on September 26, 2013, um, her, uh, the appeals court ordered a new trial finding that the jury, um, instructions in the uh, Marissa Alexander trial impermissibly uh, shifted the burden of proof from the prosecution to the defense. So she is released mm. on bail on November 27, 2013, and she is required to stay under house arrest for two years. Oh my um, God. Yeah. So um, Angela Corey, this prosecutor, who literally I'm like, I don't understand you. I don't understand you as a human being after her case is, um, uh, overturned and she's given house arrest for two years. She announces, uh, Corey announces that she's going to re-prosecute Marissa. And this time she's going to aim for three consecutive 20 year sentences amounting to a mandatory 60 year sentence. If she's found guilty on the second trial. What the fuck? Like what? Yeah. Like why? Let this shit go. Do? Seriously. Like, don't you have other cases that have like actual murderers involved? Like, is yeah. this for real? It's insane. But in 2013, um, 
Marissa Alexander, her conviction was overturned. And while she was awaiting the new trial that Corey says she's going to, you know, do or whatever, she ends up negotiating a plea agreement that allows her to serve three years in prison and two years confined to her house. Mm -hmm. So she takes a deal at this point because it was just like, right. They're never, they're never going to give up. So she might as well just take the deal Mm -hmm. and, and move on with her life. Mm-hmm. Um, so on, she's finally released on January 27th, 2015. And, um, she, they, like, they, like I said, they capped her, her sentence to the three years that she had already served. Um, she, uh, is released from, from prison or if she's released from her, her house, but she, she could, uh, uh, it was like a conditional release so she she was confined to her home but she could bring her kids to school and and go to any medical appointments with her kids mm-hmm. um and she was allowed to go to school and and work but other than that she had to be confined to the home um and she said once she was officially released she uh, took off that ankle monitor and she was so happy that she was free to go to like the park and play basketball mm. with her kids and, you know, like just be around in the neighborhood and ride a bike and, mm. you know, like so simple things that we all take for granted was something that mm-hmm. she was like so excited to do. Mm. Um, and she said she used to dream about this stuff in prison all the time. Like, oh my gosh, and yeah. it's just like how tragic, but she did say, quote, I didn't carry an, uh, I'm sorry. Sorry. Quote, I didn't carry an umbrella when I first got home because I wanted to feel the raindrops on my skin. Oh. Oh. So, um, Angela Corey uh, was widely criticized for her role in this case. Mm-hmm. So, like, so many groups were like, like the National Org- Organization for Women were like, you need to be removed from this case from the get go. Um, mm-hmm. They also uh, had a petition go around to have her resign, like in general as the prosecutor, because mm-hmm. they were like, like what, why, Obviously like, why did you put this? Bias and shit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, she defends herself by saying that she still believes that uh, Marissa Alexander fired that weapon out of anger and not fear, and that she endangered the lives of Gray's two children in the process. She said, quote, she's just, she just charged that gun to kill them, end quote. First of all, that's a lie. She did not. What? Because if she did discharge the, ki- the gun to kill them, she would have shot them because... Yeah. Um, uh, Marissa Alexander says that her, because her father was a military man, he showed them like, that was like a regular outing for them. Like he showed all of his children how to shoot guns. And like, she was like, I'm a pretty good fucking shot. So if that was the case, he'd be dead. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And even if she did fire the gun out of fear, that woman has no idea what fear feels like then. You know what I mean? You like mean if anger? she anger, yes, you're right. Like ang- like she doesn't know the difference between being mm. abu- abused for so many years and right. how how quickly fear can turn into anger 
and how quickly anger can turn into that moment of like, I just need to protect myself and get out of this situation. Yeah. Like you cannot be a person outside looking in on domestic violence and say, oh, this is how I would react. You have no fucking clue how you would react yeah. in that situation. And not even a prosecutor of how many years can say that. Like, anyway. Um, but Marissa Alexander has dedicated her life uh, a, to fight the fight against uh, domestic violence. Um, she still pushes for the change um, for changes in advocates and um, and like how uneven the application of the stand your ground law is applied to uh, cases like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the last few or the years after the shooting um, and her release, she became the face of efforts to challenge laws like the state's mandatory sentencing rule that did impact her case because she wouldn't have gotten 20 years yeah. for something so small. Yeah. Um, and now she does consulting work for an elementary school and has established a nonprofit called Melissa Alexander Justice Project. Uh, which will provide advocacy to um, cases of domestic violence, as well as to promote the the policy reform. That's great. Um, Marissa Alexander said, quote, I have had another opportunity, a second chance, and I believe everybody deserves that. So I'm going to live my best life going forward, end quote. Wow. So I just want to end with... Obviously, you know, thanking Devin and and also like the fact that we have a podcast where we can, you know, shed light on cases like this and also give me, I mean, it took me a month, but it was very much (laughs) therapeutic and and healing for me to be able to tell, you know, my story. And and as much as it, it feels very much like I'm just talking to my best friend about it, it's, I hope that it does way more for anybody listening who is dealing with that, especially now with COVID-19. There's so many situations where, you know, with the stay at home orders and, and also just trying to stay home to protect people. Like there's people who are in, you know, abusive relationships right now that are stuck at home and stuck, Mm -hmm. you know, in that environment where they used to be able to go to work or they used to be able to go to school and get out of that situation, even just for, for a couple of hours. Mm -hmm. And it's the opposite right now. So, you know, I just, I want everybody to just keep, keep an eye on your friends, keep an eye on the people that keep that, part of their lives shut behind a door because you wouldn't if you met me now you would have never known that I went through something like that Mm -hmm. and I know that there's so many women out there and men who are in situations like that and they just shut it behind the door and they put that mask on that they may wear for you know 20 minutes 10 days or in my case almost you know 12 years before actually you know speaking that truth Mm -hmm. um So, you know, if you know anyone who is a victim or if you are a victim of domestic violence, um, there is a hotline and uh, you can also call anonymously as well as do a chat so that you don't actually have to 
talk or say mm-hmm. what's happening to you out loud because a lot mm-hmm. of situations like you're living in a studio apartment or you're living in you know mm-hmm. a small space where if you were to call this hotline and tell your story your your, your abuser might be you know an earshot away and this mm-hmm. gives them gives those situations a way to still you know seek help mm-hmm. um so you can go to the hotline dot um, org or you can call 1-800-799-7233 holy shit that was great <sighs> oh my that god that was so brave of you Wow. You have no idea really, how relieved I am right now. <laughs> I'm really, really, really proud of you. Thank you. You don't owe anybody this, but it's like so honorable that you're sharing your story. <sighs> that was tough. Yeah. But needed, I think. Like, I literally yeah. feel like there's a thousand pounds off of my... <sighs> <sighs> This week's episode was written and edited by me, Asia Hamilton, with music by Holly Amber Church. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. On their behalf, thank you for listening.